Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, meet me in Hebrews chapter 7. That's where we're going to be today. Y'all been enjoying this series in Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 7. While you're flipping there, we're going to be in the whole chapter, but while you're flipping there, remember to come out to our renewal summer events. Pastor Steve lied about beating me in those uh, corn holes. He, he told y'all don't lie, and he'd be up here lying. So uh, make sure you come out to renewal summer events, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Hebrews chapter 7. If you got that, go ahead and stand to your feet with me if you're able. We got the whole chapter, but I'm going to spare you the whole chapter and read 11 through 28. If you're able to stand, I would love for you to stand as we read in honor the word of God together. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. If you got it, say got it. Here now the reading of God's word. It says, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need would there be, have been for, the, for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descendant from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a form of commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he who holds his priesthood, he holds his priesthood, priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Man, that's good. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests. But the word of an oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. 
very word of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, better than all the rest. Better than all the rest. Y'all could stay standing while we pray, please. Better than all the rest. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, God. I, I thank you for your word. God, I also pray right now that you would hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up in this place, decrease so that I may increase, God. I mean, so <laughs> increase so I may decrease, God. I do not want to be increased. Father, have my words. Have my heart. Everything I say and do, let it be uplifting to you. We need you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Y'all ever played against somebody in a sport or a game, maybe even a board game or chess, and the person you played against or watched was just unparalleled when it came to the talent compared to others? You ever been there before? Maybe you played against them or you watched them. When you watched Muhammad Ali, you go on ESPN or the Sports Network, and you look at some of his old fights, you see Muhammad Ali fight, and he's floating like a butterfly, stinging like a bee. Muhammad Ali, you saw him do things that nobody had ever done in the sport before. Or if you watch Tiger Woods when he was younger, and he'd line up with that golf club, and, and he'd hit it on down the fairway, you saw Tiger do things in the sport of golf that the sport had never seen before. Better yet, y'all, the Olympics are coming up. How many of y'all are excited about the Olympics? Olympics are coming up. Y'all remember Michael Phelps? Michael Phelps swimming through the water, winning race after race, lap after lap. I'm like, how is he doing it? Or, or my man Usain Bolt. Race after race, he's, he's running by, looking back at these folks like I'm the fastest man ever. Race after race, medal after medal. Or better yet, Chicago's own, y'all know on Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, boom, shooting jump shots like I do on Pastor Steve and, 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 and just dunking on people. Six rings, the GOAT. See, the one thing that all of these people have in common is that they're simply better than all the rest. I remember being in high school, there was this guy, his name was Devin. Devin went to uh, a, a, an opponent, a, a school that I didn't really like too much, but we played them every year in football, and Pastor Steve knows this guy. He, he was probably one of the shiftiest fastest running backs and, and wide receivers I've ever seen. I've never seen anybody go to one side of the field, fake everybody out, and then go all the way back to the other side and run for a touchdown. And no joke, uh, we were getting ready for the state qualifying meet and track, and I'm not in this heat, I'm not running, and I'm watching from the sideline, 
And I see him. We're friends. My man walks up. He has breakaways on. Y'all don't even know what breakaways are, but breakaways on, they used to wear these things that tore off. And he, he walks up to the blocks. It's track meet. Gets down, and he pulls off his breakaways. I'm expecting track shorts. This man has basketball shorts on. Now, I, walk, I look down the rest of his body, and my boy, he didn't have any blocks there ready to go. This is a state qualifying meet. Look at his shoes. No track shoes. Jordans. Everybody's down, ready to go. My man just goes like this. They, blow the, they, they, they shoot the gun, and he just takes off, dust everybody. He simply was better than all the rest. Today, as we're going to walk through this whole chapter here, there's a lot to cover, so I need y'all to hold on and stick with me. But there, hear me, there's one simple message throughout this whole chapter. The writer is trying to tell us that Jesus is simply better than all the rest. He's better than all the prophets. He's better than all the priests that came before him. Jesus is simply better than the rest. That's the one point I have for you today, and I'm out your way, and we can go eat for Father's Day. Jesus is better than all the rest. Last week, our passage, it ended in chapter 6 and verse 20, saying that having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This verse, by way of reminder, as I mentioned last week, it's talking about Jesus coming after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek jumped on the scene in Genesis chapter 14. He's a high priest and a king. He was a priest before there was an establishment of the priesthood. Through Aaron, this is Moses' brother, where the tribe of Levi, it comes out that they have this, this priesthood that comes through Aaron, who was the first priest. Melchizedek came before the establishment of the priesthood. So what this means when he says that Jesus comes after the order of Melchizedek, what the writer is trying to get at is that Jesus comes before the establishment of the priesthood, which if you remember from last week, that means his priesthood goes on forever and ever, which means his goodness never runs out. That's good news, and I need y'all to stick that in your pocket because we're going to come back to it a little bit later today. Verses 1 through 10, I told you, we got to walk through this whole text, so y'all hold on and ride with me through the text. Verse 1 through 10 of our text today further explains who Melchizedek is and how he correlates to Jesus. Again, he originated in Genesis chapter 14, and he was said to be a high priest of the Almighty or Most High. Again, this is before the priests were actually around. He was also a king. He was the king of Salem. Salem comes from the root word shalom. Say shalom with me. Shalom. Shalom means peace. So what we see here is that Melchizedek is not just a high priest, but he's also a king that ruled and brought peace. Sounding familiar to anybody? Verse 3 says he's without a father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days or end of life, but he resembles the Son of God he continues, as resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. So hear me, 
We don't know exactly how Melchizedek comes on the scene or where he came about. We don't know how he died. He was here and then he was gone. But what this means is that that people just assume that he just that, that he stuck around. So so the writer, hear me, is trying to tell us that he is assuming this, but also biblical tradition. I need y'all to follow this. The writer and biblical tradition just assume that Melchizedek never died. He just kept living on. So what the writer is saying is that Jesus being after the line of Melchizedek, Melchizedek here is pointing to Jesus. He's a type of Christ. He didn't die. He, 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 we don't know how he became a, a, a person. We don't know how he came to this earth. We don't know when he died. So, so what he's doing right now is pointing to Jesus. He's a type of Christ because here it is. Jesus comes in the flesh. He's born of the Virgin Mary, but that's not his beginning. Jesus dies on a cross, but that's not his death either. Y'all with me? See, Jesus was and always has been since the beginning. He has no beginning and no end. He is God in the flesh. He's Alpha and Omega. He rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, and then he ascended to heaven. And now he is a priest forever, interceding on behalf of the people who believe in him. He may not be bodily here with us, but hear me, he's still in heaven working on the believer's Now, before I go any further, I I don't want y'all to miss what I meant when I said he's a type of Christ. He's pointing to Jesus. I I don't want to miss. I don't want y'all to miss this. This is key. This is key in understanding the correlation between Melchizedek and Jesus. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He is a figure in the Bible that has certain attributes or characteristics that that point to Jesus. He's not Jesus. He points to Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, there are figures or people that are types of Christ. Adam, being the father of all mankind, is a type of Christ because Jesus is a spiritual father to all who believe in him. Noah was a type of Christ because Noah was the only just man who lived in the midst of a sinful people, and God chose through him to make humanity new. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create newness t- through you. I- I'm going to create a, a new family of God through you. I'm going to create a new mankind through you, Noah. This points to Jesus because he was the only sinless, blameless lamb of God who ever walked the earth. And through belief in him, what happens now is that you and I who believe, we now have a new life too through on in eternity with him in heaven. Y'all follow me with this? That's what makes Noah a type of Christ. As you read the Bible all throughout the Old Testament, you will see different types of Christ that are not Jesus, but point to Jesus, which lets us know that all of Scripture is looking to the coming. It's, it's pointing to Jesus coming. Again, Melchizedek here. He's a type of Christ that pointed to Jesus. Y'all stick with me. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. The text moves on in verse 2, and the author makes note, and he says that Abraham thought so highly of Melchizedek, and since he thought highly of him, and since Melchizedek blessed him, Abraham paid tithes to him. 
Now, notice it doesn't say that he paid tithes to get a blessing. Y'all quiet because I stepped in your theological neighborhood. I need to, I need to clear this up. It doesn't say he tithes so he can be blessed. He tithed because he had already received the blessing. This is a side note. This is something for you to take home. Many of us think that we're supposed to tithe or give in church so that God will bless us. That's backwards. We tithe. We give 10% of our finances. You see this with with Abraham here. We give 10% of our finances because God has already given to us. We give out of thankfulness. We give out of what he's done for us. We want others to experience the same blessing, the same thing that we have. So we want the church to go forward. So we give. Hear me, family. There should be no churches struggling if believers are actually in the church because they give knowing what God has done for them. This is how the church goes forward. So hear me. We don't give to receive a blessing. Now hear me. God, God definitely, I think he does give to uh, the giver. As you give, he'll give you, give back and all that other stuff. But you don't give to get blessed. We don't give to receive. We give because we've already received. This is what you see in the text. This is what you see with Abraham when he's given to Melchizedek. He ties to Melchizedek. And this was before, hear me, the Levitical priest era where they all tithe. So he's tithing before that. He's given to Melchizedek. And what this does is it points out the fact that because the Levitical priest era, this part where, where through Abraham's lineage, Aaron would come out of, this priesthood would come out of, by him giving to Melchizedek, what this means is that they also tithe too. They tie through Abraham as he's giving because they're part of his lineage. So what the writer is trying to point out here is that all of the priests after Abraham also submitted to Melchizedek because he came first. Don't miss this. Because what this means is when he says after Jesus comes after the the line of Melchizedek, what he's really trying to say is that Jesus is also supreme to all of those priests. He's simply better than all the rest. Now, I know you're sitting there. That's why y'all so quiet, because it's, it's in your head and saying, Pastor D, this is a lot, but why, why, is, this so, why is this important? What's this got to do with me? Y'all keep following me. I'm coming to your neighborhood. Verse 11, the text, the author turns the corner a bit in the text. And now that he's made clear how Jesus and Melchizedek are similar, that Melchizedek is a type of Christ, he begins by asking a question, and he says these words. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? See, what he's pointing out here is that not only is it important to understand that Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek and that the priesthood of Jesus lasts forever, but there is a reason. There's a reason why another greater high priest is needed after the priesthood with Aaron is put in place. Now, why is he explaining all of this? Because if you and I, hear me, if we were back in their day and we slipped on their boots just for a moment and we were in that present day at the time and the writer is telling them you need another great high priest, they would probably be like, um, 
What you talking about, Willis? Why, why do we need another priest? We, we got priests already. Why do we need another priest? And I love it. Basically, in verse 11, he's asking a rhetorical question because he's looking at him like, ah, I get it. Y'all asking why we need another priest. Well, let me ask you this. Did you or anybody else achieve perfection under the law? All of them probably were like, they're not going to say it out loud because they're embarrassed by the question. Nah, you know, actually, when I try to follow the law, I actually figured out I pretty, I'm pretty much suck. I'm horrible. Thus proving that another great high priest, a greater high priest than the actual law had to come about. This is what he's trying to point out to them. Friends, but hear me, this would have been highly problematic for the people. It would have been problematic concerning Jesus because he's, been, he's a priest from another, another line. He's not from the Levitical priesthood. He, he didn't come from Levi. No, no, Jesus came from the line or the lineage of Judah. So the writer starts to back this up a little bit, and he starts to walk us through this in verses 12 through 16, trying to make it a bit more clear. And he says, well, in a new priest, when he comes anyway, if a new priest comes, then the law has to be changed a bit because the new priest steps into all office that's a problem in itself because we got used to some kind of law and now it has to change a bit but here's an even bigger problem Moses didn't say anything about another priest coming through a different line we've been getting our priests through the Levitical line the tribe of Levi for centuries now and now you got another one coming through the tribe of Judah what you talking about Jesus well who is this Jesus y'all this would be like someone coming up to me and saying DP, man, you worked so hard in your life, man. You've put, a, you've put money aside for your kids. you got homes for them and all these things. You've worked really hard and you, you've made it. But you know what? When you die, your inheritance, your name will live on through your brother-in-law's name. What? Not my kid? His kids? That brother don't even have the last, same last name as me. You, you trying to tell me all the work I put in, all the belief in everything I did, so all of that's not going to go through my kids, but it's going to go through my brother-in-law's kids? Y'all hear me. These folks have been trusting for uh, having a priest through the Levitical line for centuries, and now the writer's telling them, y'all, this Jesus is the great high priest who came through the tribe of Judah. This is great, but it's problematic. Trying to tell them that old priestly covenant, that one y'all used to trust, that wasn't good enough. So the question becomes, well, how in the world do these people not tune out the writer because he just disestablished their thought process? He tried to put to bed their understanding of the priestly covenant. How do they not tune them out? This is why, if you've been following along, the correlation between Melchizedek and Jesus is so important. Because as verse 16 says, he was made not as a priest based off of a legal requirement, but by, if you see the words, the power of an indestructible life. This again means that both he and Melchizedek had no beginning or no end, which is why the writer repeats those same words we've seen throughout chapter 6 and chapter 7 in verse 17, citing Psalm 110 verse 4. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Family, if you remember, this is good news. 
This is good news because it means Jesus' priesthood never, it doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. It means it lives on forever and his goodness never runs out. Y'all, the people believed this about Melchizedek. They believed Melchizedek hadn't died. He was a type of Christ. This is what we're talking about today. The writer is saying, yeah, he didn't die, but y'all, he just pointed to Jesus. Again, the point is, Jesus is simply better than all the rest. Y'all stick with me. Some of y'all not follow me. I promise I'm going to step into your neighborhood in just a minute. The text moves on in verse 18 and says, oh, yeah, yeah. Y'all remember that law? That law that y'all were trying to follow? That law did nothing to, to, to give perfection to people. No, it didn't make people perfect at all. But yet here's Christ who gives a new hope, a new covenant, not by the works of your hands, not by the sweat of your brow, not by your blood or what you bring to the table, but by the blood of a sinless lamb. Jesus. In fact, Galatians 3.24 says this. Look at it with me. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law was our guardian. I love how the New King James says it. This is one of my first Bibles. It says that it was a tutor that led us to Christ. The law was never supposed to save people. But instead, it's to show us our need for Jesus. Because the law required perfection. You flip through the Old Testament in those first five books, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you go through that, Exodus, you see the law that is given by, by God, and you start looking at it, and you're like, man, ain't no, I could never follow this. There's no way we could live up to that. It needed utter perfection. This is why Jesus is so important, because he was perfect. He didn't just try to follow the law, y'all. He fulfilled the law. He's simply better than all the rest. But some of us in here, y'all ain't amening, so y'all still missing this. Let me keep moving. The writer then says, verse 20, besides fulfilling the law, all these other priests made, were made a priest by the lineage, by a lineage. But Jesus was made a priest by an oath. He cites 110 again, Psalm 110 again, verse 4. He says these words, the Lord has sworn. He has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah, you got to love the author's writing here. You, you got to love what he's doing here because it, it, it's kind of like a slow cooker, y'all. He, he's slowly walking us through. Y'all read a slow cooker before? Some of y'all don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, in, in, in my home, we had a slow cooker. We got, we got y'all, y'all know what a slow cooker is? Y'all looking at me like, y'all don't know. If, you put the food in there with the vegetables in it, around it, throw a little water, juice up in there, you know what I'm saying? And it just cooks down, and you wake up 12 hours later or 24 hours later, and it's just straight glory up in that joint. It's just goodness right there. Feel me? The, 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 the writer here is just walking you through the text. He's, he's slowly walking us and working us through the text because he wants us to understand who this Jesus is and how his his priesthood is different. Psalm 110 lets us know that Jesus was made a priest by an oath from God. And an oath, as we spoke about last week, is based on the character of God, is something by which he cannot lie. So hear me. In essence, the covenant with Jesus is better than the covenant that was made with the old priest. Again, Jesus is simply better 
than all the rest. But maybe you're still missing it. So the writer, he makes us run for home plate here in verse 22. And he says that, that, that makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. And, and just in case you missed it, he says, let me rattle off his credentials just one more time. Verse 23, he says, there were so many priests because they were plagued by death. But verse 24, Jesus has never died. He's always lived, which means that he holds on to his priesthood permanently. Where verse 25 tells us this means he's always making intercession on behalf of the people that have drawn near to him. All the other priests died, but Jesus still lives on. Again, Jesus is simply better than the rest. But hold up. The writer's not done yet. Then he says in verse 26 and 27, I love these words. You can't even paraphrase them. Look at this. He says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above. Above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered himself up. He says Jesus wasn't like all those other guys, he was sinless, without stain without blemish, without innocent. I mean, he was innocent. This is Jesus he's talking about. He didn't have to offer sacrifice over and over and over again like these other guys, not for himself, not for anybody else. Jesus was perfect. He was innocent. He was blameless, and he offered himself up once and for all. Again, Jesus is better than all the rest. The writer sums all of this up in verse 28, saying that for the law appointed men in their weakness as a high priest because they simply died and they were sinful. But in Jesus, we have a covenant that will last forever by which if you believe we're saved and it is stamped by God because he's made an oath, he's sworn by it, which means that he cannot lie. Y'all, I'm trying to tell you that Jesus is better than all the rest. The writer throughout all of chapter 7 has simply been trying to make this clear that Jesus is better. He's better than the priests. He's better than the prophets. He's better than Melchizedek. He's better than that thing or person you put your hope in, your trust in. He's better. Jesus is better. And not only is he better, but hear me, your salvation and the promise of eternity has all been consummated in Jesus, our great high priest. He's better. All the priestly duties have been completed in Jesus. There was none exactly like him before him, and there will be none like him after him. He was a priest before establishment, which means he has no beginning and no end, which reminds me, as I said weeks ago, Jesus is the GOAT. He is the G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. Y'all hear me? God's work of salvation and priestly intercession was complete in Jesus. Friends, Jesus is simply 
better than all the rest. Family, now that I have seemingly wrung the text dry, let me step into your kitchen, maybe into your bedroom, because somebody in here is saying, I still don't get how this has anything to do with me. Let me ask you this question. Who or what to you is simply better than all the rest? Who or what are you placing your trust and hope in? You, you may not be placing your hope and trust in an old covenant law, but you got a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you're trusting in way too much. Come on now, I'm stepping into your kitchen now. Some, some of you have statuses and jobs that you put your hope and trust in way too much. Some of you have possessions that you, do not, you, you can't get rid of. Ain't no U-Hauls going to heaven. I'm sorry to tell you, you're putting your trust and hope in it way too much. Some of us put too much trust and hope in our kids and our dogs. Yes, I went there. Some of us are putting too much hope and trust in our own identities. We're putting too much hope and trust in our willpower and our strength to make it through the day. We're putting too much trust in ourselves. See, what the writer is trying to say and what I've been trying to get at all morning long is that Jesus is simply better than all the rest. Everything. He is better. There is no one better, there's no thing better to put your trust and your hope in that will give you the love, joy, peace, satisfaction, fulfillment, and approval that your heart and your soul longs for. So trust in Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate high priest who took on our sin in exchange for our belief. He gives us righteousness. Y'all, Jesus is simply better than all the rest. The question we got to answer is this. Is that truly the belief of my heart? Is he truly better? Is he better than all the rest? Maybe for you that just became true this morning. Maybe you're saying this is the first time I'm really going to trust Jesus with my life and I'm giving him everything I have. I believe in him. I'm thankful for his death, burial, and his resurrection, and I'm giving him my all. And to you, I say, welcome to the family of God. You now have a sure hope in Jesus on through eternity. Or some of us in here, I'm going to venture out to say maybe a lot of us in here, You trusted in Jesus at one point in your life. But although the track is right here, you're, you're way over here. You, you way back here. Jesus is saying, I want you here. 
You've taken your eye off of Jesus, and just like Peter, you're sinking in the water. I want you to know that there's grace. When he called you son or daughter, he didn't call you son or daughter so you can lose it. He called you son or daughter because you're his. And there's grace. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he is just and righteous to forgive you of all unrighteousness. All you have to do is come and say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for trusting in these things, putting my hope in this person or this thing, and running back to the Father, as that song says. Because he's here with open arms saying, come back. I got you. You're mine. You're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. Y'all hear me? good news of chapter 7 that the writer is trying to get at. Is that Jesus is simply better than all the rest. When we put our hope and trust in him, we have a sure hope that doesn't just sit for today or last for today, but is forevermore on throughout eternity. Because he is better than all the rest. Amen, somebody. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God. Jesus, thank you for being better. Thank you for being better than anything that I put my own hope in. Thank you for being there, Jesus, when I get off track. Thank you for being a loving father that we can run to, that doesn't give up on us, that doesn't turn his back on us, even when we might turn our back on you. Thank you for being better than anything we could see or touch, anything we could put our hope in. Thank you for being good all by yourself. Thank you for being the sure hope we can trust and believe in. Thank you for being Jesus. Father, we do love you. Forgive us for the times when we don't even show it. Forgive us for the times when we get off. But thank you for being a forgiving and a loving father. So even on the day as we're coming back to you, as there are folks in here and they're saying, that's me, I've been off the track. Thank you for accepting us for who we are. And we pray that you'll continue to shape us for your glory and use us for your glory in the dashes of our lives until we meet you face to face. Pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care, God bless you.